everyone, my name is Rhys Galinsky, and this is Young History, episode 113 on Haiti. The capitalist country is Port-au-Prince. And the name Haiti actually comes from the Taino language, which was one of the main native people here before the arrival of the Europeans. And they use the word Haiti to mean land of the tall mountains, which makes sense because it's kind of a mountain range that actually divides the island of Hispaniola between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And some other facts is that Haiti is one of two countries in the Western Hemisphere that have French as a national language. We'll be doing the other one not too long from now. Another thing is that Haiti does not celebrate Halloween as a official holiday. They actually celebrate Fête Jede, which is like the Haitian equivalent of the Day of the Dead. Fête Jede is a celebration of lost loved ones where sometimes cemeteries are cleaned, graves are painted, and the dead are commemorated for the time they had on Earth. And Haiti was actually the world's first republic created by and for black people. And that gets us to the start, where I really don't want to dilly-dally much longer than I have to because this is a lot of history we're needing to to kind of explain why Haiti is in the place it is in today and all the things it's been through, been put through, all that. Because you really have to acknowledge what caused Haiti to get here to understand why Haiti is. So we're going to make sure we do that, and it's going to be fun. So I'm really glad you guys are here. I'm very excited to do this one because I also grew up in Broward County, Florida, which is an area where a lot of Haitian exclaves have popped up, that whole region of the southeast part of Florida. And, you know, Haitian Flag Day is huge and it's always you know it's a thing i kind of wondered about so now we're doing this episode and it's one i'm gonna be very excited to do so very glad you guys are here and i'm excited to do this thing so one more time my name is reese karlinski this is young history and this is haiti you guys enjoy Our origins begin with the Taino people. They were the first people to live here. The Taino are believed to have migrated to the Caribbean from South America, possibly from the Onoico, possibly from the Orinoco River Valley in Venezuela. Then they moved up to the island chain, got to where they are today. The Taino settled on several islands in the Caribbean, including Hispaniola, and Taino society was organized into chiefdoms, also known as Cachaizogos. Society was hierarchical, with nobles and commoners making up the top and bottom, and the chiefs and nobles held higher status, while commoners were often people that farmed, fished, and did other tasks to keep the community running. The Taino were also the first to cultivate crops here. They grew things like cassava, maize, sweet potatoes, and other root vegetables, and they also grew cotton and used it for their clothing, as well as tobacco, which they used to smoke in ceremonial rituals. And then we get to the Europeans, who arrive in 1492, under the leadership of Christopher Columbus. He claimed the island of Hispaniola for Spain. On the western side, he created La Navidad as one of the first settlements. The Taino didn't see the Spanish as the friends of them, so they attacked La Navidad and killed all the settlers there. The Europeans returned and saw how devastating the diseases they brought were, the ones like the Spanish flu, because these diseases killed almost half of the Taino people, and within a few years after that, killed almost all of them. Those Taino that remained were forced to work in the mines and on the fields that the Spanish created in their new settlements. And that pretty much defines the 1500s as well. It's just continued encroachment on the land that the Taino lived on, and diseases spreading rapidly, warfare being enacted between the two and a whole lot of death for the Taino. Now, there were many Europeans that died, but the ratio wasn't even close. France 
had spent the 1600s clashing with Spain for domination over Europe and the New World. France had a base for pirate raids off the island of Tortuga, right north of Hispaniola. After many proxy wars and full-on conflicts with Spain, France had made its mark on Hispaniola. In 1697, the western third of the island was made into a French colony known as Saint-Domingue. Plantations of coffee and sugar were created across the colony, and hundreds of thousands of Africans were imported as slaves once the Taino didn't make up enough workforce to be used for labor. And it would be the African slave trade that helps fund sugar as the main wealth of this colony. Because now that there was a huge enslaved workforce, the Europeans were making stupid money off of opening sugar plantation after sugar plantation. And slavery itself was at its worst in Saint-Domingue. Work conditions were brutal because of the heat, and slaves were often abused, beaten, sometimes sexually assaulted, and starved as incentives for harder work. And this goes on throughout the entire time slavery is present here. But it did cause one thing to change outside of just the basics of how society works. The population of Haiti shifted to a vast majority of enslaved people opposed to Europeans. The culture here had shifted. There was a stratified four-party societal system. The top was the Les Grands Blancs, or the Big Whites. They were the plantation owners obsessed with money. The Les Petits Blancs were the remaining whites that did not own, but they worked urban jobs on plantations or did other things to maintain cities. The Gens de Colo were mixed people or freed black people, and then there were the enslaved black people at the very bottom of the totem pole. The conditions were so bad for these people that anyone brought in as a slave had a 50% chance of death within the years of their early arrival in Saint-Domingue. And when I say the culture shifted earlier, there is a main thing I'm referring to, and that is voodoo. The population of mostly West African people blended with the leftover culture from the Taino natives and brewed into the voodoo belief. The Yoruba people of Nigeria were some of the first practitioners of early voodoo. Voodoo has a great focus on spirits, known as Iwa. These spirits are usually ancestors, nature, or manifestations of either one. Worship and adherence to the spirit of ancestors is very important in voodoo. There are ceremonies held to communicate and honor ancestors. Voodoo rituals and ceremonies involve dance that has taken influence from the Yoruba in Africa and the culture of Hispaniola. These ceremonies are colorful and high energy and sometimes include a possession. One of the leaders of the ceremony would allow an Iwa, or spirit, to possess them to facilitate conversation between the two planes of life. Voodoo places a great importance on the veneration of ancestors. Practitioners believe that the spirits of their ancestors are constantly present and can influence daily events. Offering prayers and rituals are often performed to honor and seek guidance from deceased family members. Voodoo is also associated with traditional healing practices. Voodoo healers, known as Hongans or Mambus, may use herbal remedies, rituals, and spiritual interventions to treat many physical and psychological ailments. In the late 1700s, voodoo was not only a religious experience, but it was a factor that united the people in Saint-Domingue. During the ceremonies and gatherings of enslaved voodoo practitioners, people shared their desires and it became clear that everyone wanted the same thing, freedom. Despite this great desire among the people, they had to face a brutal doctrine that was reigning over Saint-Domingue. It was known as Code Noir. It was a doctrine that attempted to guarantee equal rights for free people of color in French colonies. This sounds like a good thing, but the Les Grands Blancs, or the Big Whites, attempted to strip this doctrine away to make a white supremacist society 
permanent over the heads of the people, no matter if they were freed or enslaved. In the backlash of the French Revolution that started in 1789, the French colonial government was distracted with the issues back home. This coincided with the strong unity that had been built among the people in Saint-Domingue in 1791. As a thunderstorm struck the coast of Hispaniola, the Haitian Revolution began. It lasted from 1791 to 1804. The enslaved people broke from their chains and carved a path of vengeance out of their side of the island. Plantation owners were hung, plantations were burned, and people were freed across the colony. 184 sugar plantations and about 1,000 coffee plantations were destroyed. The French were distracted dealing with the revolution at home, and this gave the people of Saint-Domingue a perfect opportunity to consolidate power. One of the men that rose to power was Toussaint Louverture. He rose as a leader because he was able to gain a formal education and musical education before the colony started to rise up, and he gained military poise from researching it. By 1794, he was the most prominent revolutionary leader. Toussaint was able to unite his revolutionaries, even with the divisions rising constantly. He was a major player in the War of Knives, which lasted within the Greater Haitian Revolution as a tiny civil war. It went from 1799 to 1800. It was a civil war from June to July of those years between Toussaint Louverture and his adversary, André Regald, who was a mixed-race free person of color who controlled the southern part of Saint-Domingue. Louverture and Regald fought over de facto control over the French colony. The conflict followed the withdrawal of British forces from the colony earlier during the Haitian Revolution. The war resulted in Toussaint taking control of the entirety of Saint-Domingue and Regald fleeing into exile. From 1801 to 1803, there was a Saint-Domingue expedition. After Napoleon had taken power in France, he began to move back into this colony as an attempt to recapture it for France. Fighting went back and forth between the two. Eventually, Toussaint Louverture surrendered. He was arrested and eventually died in prison. The French tried to reestablish full control of the colony, but faced even more resistance, because now one of the great leaders was made into a martyr. Jean-Jacques de Salines was a general under Toussaint Louverture, and he rose to power in the military and challenged the French once again. In 1803, the Battle of Vietier was fought and the French were defeated. He declared independence for Haiti right after, on January 1st of 1804. And he also made himself Emperor of Haiti in the same year. After the successful revolution, Jean-Jacques de Salinas became the first ruler of independent Haiti, and he also designed Haiti's first flag. The story goes that in 1803, he made the Haitian flag by ripping the white stripe from the French flag. He said the removal of the white symbolized the removal of all colonizers from the country, and the remaining colors of red and blue stripes represented the country's natives. Blue for the country's black citizens, and red representing those of mixed European or African descent that were living in Haiti. And eventually the coat of arms of Haiti would be added to the flag. Under Jean-Jacques, there was a massacre ordered in 1804. Jean-Jacques ordered the execution and exile of all remaining white people in Haiti. He saw this as a way to eliminate any true descent within the colony, and he believed that if any white people were left, they would eventually betray Haiti and try to retake it for the French or Europe. Despite the sweet taste of revenge on the... <laughs> so, the massacre occurred. Any remaining plantation owners, soldiers, citizens, anything, were killed. Haitians united in this massacre and did everything they could to get full control of the country that was now theirs. Despite the sweet taste of revenge on the lips of Haitian leaders, the massacre was a mistake. It painted the Haitians as bloodthirsty in the eyes of the Europeans and allowed them to push forth the narrative that they were uncontrollable savages that were worth killing. 
Jean-Jacques was assassinated in 1806, and the country split into North and South governments. After some time in dissent, Haiti was reunited once again by Jean-Pierre Boyer. He reunited the country and expanded the Haitian control over Saint-Dominique in 1822. Eventually, France stopped trying to retake the colony and agreed to recognize Haiti as independent at the cost of 150 million francs. This launched Haiti into a debt that it still has not broken out of to this day. This is one of the most ridiculous parts of history because they were literally paying unreasonable amounts of money for a freedom that they had already won in war. Haiti was then encouraged to take out loans from the French banks, and this became known as the double debt of Haiti. And in order to understand how insane these reparations were, there's this example. If Haiti was to sell coffee beans and make the nation $3, $2.50 of that total would go towards paying off the debt. So imagine how little is actually going to the government and the people. Between 1843 and 1915, Haiti had 22 presidents. Only one of them was able to hold off coup and assassination attempts long enough for a full term. Three of them declared themselves monarchs, and two named themselves president for life. The U.S. also did not trade with Haiti because they didn't recognize the nation until 1866. The United States' logic for this was, well, racism. They believed that they did not want this free slave black-led nation to succeed and agreed with Europe that they shouldn't have any trade partners. So Haiti is not only in debt to a country that they won freedom from, but now they have no trade partners anywhere near them. And then today in the modern age, the main trade partner of Haiti is the United States, because why wouldn't it be? The United States is a stone throw from anywhere in the Caribbean, and it's always had the most money in the region. So it's just a thing of why not. But it's not shocking at all to hear it when you remember all the things the U.S. has done in this time period to any country in the Western Hemisphere that stood in their way. The Dominican War of Independence also occurred during this time period. It happened from 1844 to 1856. It was a hard-fought war that ended with the Dominican Republic being established as an independent country from Haiti and anyone else. The Luders Affair happened in 1897, and it was a big embarrassment for Haiti. A German man named Luders was arrested in Haiti for theft and assault. He was pressured to be released, but even after he was released, he ran into legal trouble once again. When this happened, Germany wanted to make an example of Haiti. The German military sailed two giant battleships to Haiti and forced them to undergo a lot of humiliating circumstances. Despite the fact that the people of Haiti were ready to fight and defend their country, they saw over their shoulder the white surrender flag being waved from their capital building. They were also forced to do a 21-gun salute to the Germans that arrived and had to pay off debts to the Germans. This caused huge instability in Haiti and made people's pride in their government completely drop because they had surrendered when the people were ready to fight. After this, we saw a time of widespread instability throughout the 1910s, and because of this, it started to become possible that Haiti may not pay its debts to France or the U.S. So, the U.S. took this as a reason to step in and occupy the nation. The U.S. occupation occurred from 1915 to 1934. U.S. rule saw bank seizures, presidential installations, and constitutional reforms in order to sway policies towards the United States. Twice, the Haitian people tried to stand up to the new overlord, but the uprisings were crushed with pure brutality and murder. FDR was eventually the one to pull the U.S. troops and politicians out in 1934 because he believed this was an imperialistic ideal that he did not want to support in the wake of World War I. One of the first men to take power after the U.S. left was Dumarsay Estime. He expanded the educational system, but faced his own uprisings and was eventually overthrown. And 
things just don't stop for Haiti. And this is the thing we're going to see. Haiti is not only one of the most abused countries in the world, but also one of the most unlucky. In this case, it's definitely the former. This was the Parsley Massacre of 1937. It was ordered by Rafael Trujillo, who was the president of the Dominican Republic, and was by all rights an authoritarian leader. Hundreds of Dominican troops were sent to the northwestern frontier of DR to negotiate the possible Haitian population living there. The Haitians were seen as part of the opposition by Trujillo, so he wanted to suppress them. The soldiers started taking people from their homes and off the streets and interrogating them. They asked the person they grabbed to say the word parsley, and if the word was not pronounced to the liking of the Dominican soldiers, meaning the accent it was said with, then the captured person would be considered Haitian and would more than likely be killed or deported right after. This scourge went on for five days and saw the deaths of at least 20,000 Haitian people. Reports also say that many people tried to flee from the Dominican soldiers and that they were chased into the Dajabon River that divides the two nations. So much murder happened here that the river ran red with blood and corpses for a few days after the massacre. And there's been nothing done about this massacre. All that's happened is it was recognized as one that happened, but nothing's happened to help Haiti get through it, despite how deeply terrible it is. In the 1950s, a break in the chaos occurred and an increase in tourism happened as well. This only brought menial benefits and benefited only a few elites in the country. And then we saw one of the most famous people in Haitian history come into power. Francois Duvalier was elected president in 1957. He became known as Papa Doc because he was a graduate student from the University of Michigan, Go Blue. He was able to attend this university in the United States because there was a program meant to train black doctors in medical attention so that they could assist soldiers fighting in World War II who got illnesses or wounds when they were fighting in the Caribbean slash traveling through there. He ran on a platform that challenged the control of the mulattoes in the country. The mulattoes were the new name for the elite class of Haiti that held most of the country's power and wealth. They were called mulatto because they were either half-white or fully white. The black Haitian majority were mostly the working class and usually led lives that were less connected to the giant wealth that was inherited over and over by the mulatto. Papa Doc ran a paramilitary group that became known as Tonton Makote. And Tonton Makote was a monstrous figure from Haitian mythology that was known to kidnap people and kill them. And they were given this name because of their extreme harshness and inhumane treatment of the Haitian citizens. Their brutality was unmatched. Not only would they kill people and leave them in the street, but if someone's family member attempted to retrieve the body, they would be killed as well. They operated on fear-based politics that kept Papa Doc in power, and they became twice as large as the standing army in Haiti. Papa Doc also routinely rigged elections. He eliminated political opponents and eventually named himself president for life. He was a cult of personality. So much so that he actually tried to convince people that he was the physical reincarnation of Baron Samadhi. Baron Samadhi is a famous figure in voodoo mythology. He is seen as the lord of the dead and as a deity that represents not only the end of life, but as the life giver for the value life has before death. He is commonly depicted in pop culture. He's in The Princess and the Frog. In video games, he's always a character when mythology is mentioned. And this was a huge claim from Duvalier. The increase in stability that came from Papa Doc's rule caused the economy to remain stagnant and weak. In turn, many Haitians migrated out of the country, mostly fleeing to the United States. June Haiti was a united group that tried to overthrow Papa Doc in a coup. They failed because it was hard to fight the government military without proper cover. And the military was very loyal to Papa Doc, so it wasn't corruptible. Papa Doc handled this uprising with extremity. He marched his soldiers into the town of Jeremy, 
which was the headquarters of the operation, and he ordered the town to be burned down and almost everyone in it to be killed. The members of this town were not all members of the June Haiti, so women, children, and elders that were unarmed and had no attempt to challenge Papa Doc were also executed just like soldiers. Among the many wild things that Papa Doc did, he also claimed that he was the one who killed JFK, the President of the United States, via a voodoo curse. And after this long reign of terror, times would not end. His son, Jean-Claude Duvalier, also known as Baby Doc, was made president and ruled for 15 years, from 1971 to 1986. Baby Doc's presidency was marked by widespread corruption and embezzlement of state funds. He and his association were accused of looting the country's treasury for personal gain. While the Duvalier family lived an extravagant lifestyle, much of Haiti's population lived in poverty and faced severe economic hardships because the government was doing nothing to help them. He also used the Tanta Makute to hold power, and he used it to challenge opposition, uprisings, protests, the exact same way his father did. In 1986, Baby Doc was forced into exile after 15 years in power. This was triggered by the February riots of 1986 that challenged his rule. Jean Patrand Aristade was the man who won the first free democratic election of Haiti in 1991. He wanted the military to be civilian-led. He even challenged Haiti's elite. He made a doctrine that would freeze all rich Haitian bank accounts that migrated away from Haiti. Eventually, he was overthrown in a military coup backed by the elites after he was in power for just eight months. The U.S. responded to this with Operation Uphold Democracy in 1994. 20,000 U.S. troops were deployed and Aristad was reinstated as president. This saw an increase in international aid nationwide. Aristad got to have the presidency he rightfully earned. He disbanded the military, thus making Haiti one of the three nations in the Western Hemisphere without a military. His economic reforms were weak and really didn't promote growth of the country. He was able to win a second term as president, but because of these weak reforms, he was actually ousted once again in a coup. This time, the United States did not back him, and many people actually accused the United States of supporting the coup against him. The early 2000s were a tough time for Haiti, as the struggle to grow the economy caused poverty to spread and was followed by an increased crime rate. Because of all the chaos, 2004 to 2017 saw the deployment of the UNSTAMIH. This was a peacekeeping force sent by the United Nations, but the soldiers from around the world brought cholera to Haiti. Even worse was not only did these not really do their job because struggles with poverty as well as crime were still very high because people were just doing what they could to survive and the government wasn't doing anything to help people live. On top of this, there were accusations of a lot of child molestation against soldiers in this UN force. Things wouldn't even end here though. In 2010, the Haiti earthquake occurred. It was a magnitude 7 earthquake. It was one of the strongest to hit the Caribbean in human history. It killed 300,000 people, destroyed the economy, infrastructure, and caused instability to be rampant nationwide. In the wake of this earthquake, the cholera that was introduced in Haiti from the UN soldiers before was able to spread more rapidly because of the fact that people were gathering together to survive and that sanitation systems had been destroyed. From 2012 to 2016, there were Hurricanes Isaac, Sandy, and Matthew. They all battered the small nation that was already struggling economically. Because of the storms, they were unable to reset or grow because the economy and infrastructure was wrecked over and over again. Because of all the things that had happened to Haiti in the last 20 years since the new millennia began, Haitians were very upset. People's daily needs for survival were not being met because of failures in the government, abuses from foreign powers, and extreme bad luck with the weather. Protests began to grip the capital because people were sick and tired of scraping by in the country they love. These protests 
didn't result in much change, but it did encourage people to unite behind different political figures. Despite all this, Dmitri Elias de Giel became a famous author for writing the book called God Loves Haiti, which was made kind of spitefully against all the struggles that the nation faced, and it became widely celebrated, not only in Haiti, but internationally. And since 2020, the struggle for Haiti has not ended, it has evolved. Juvenal Moise became president in 2017. He became famous for not only his stability during his rule, but also for trying to expose the corruption and abuses that was happening within the Haitian government. He challenged the elite, and he tried to expose the politicians and business people who were involved in the illegal drug trade. He did this by passing information onto the United States, and this ruffled too many feathers. He was eventually assassinated in 2021. Right after this, the death of the president was detrimental for Haiti. The lack of the government's stability caused gangs to rise in order to survive the hard times. Gangs had started to found their own counties in Port-au-Prince that are ran entirely without law. There are over 200 popular gangs in Haiti. These gangs have taken control of almost every area of the Haiti's economy, which leads to people being kidnapped, food being stolen and resold, major infrastructure parts like shipping and trading ports being run by gangs. It goes on and on and on. This even happens outside Port-au-Prince because current estimates state that at least 40% of Haiti is controlled by different gangs. Many of these gangs saw the death of the president as a reason to rise to power because they all believe that they're going to be the next great person to unite Haiti, the leaders of these gangs. And then many of them are selfish who just want to take money for themselves, but many are just trying to create a unity to survive these hard, hard times. The violence and threats from the gang-controlled areas have caused 200,000 people to be displaced from their homes, and many have had to leave Haiti entirely. Despite all this, there has been a major breath of fresh air as of 2023. The Women's World Cup berth for the women's national team of Haiti was huge. The Haitian women's team qualified for the first time in 2023 and made it much further than anyone predicted. They didn't go on to win the whole thing, but it offered a great sense of unity for all Haitians who were able to happily back their team, which was going farther than it had ever gone before. And that gets us to the present, where today there is not a single elected government member in Haiti. The repeated postponing of elections has removed democratic influence from the nation for the time being. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It has been run over by gangs and has no government support for its people. By every metric, Haiti is a struggling, instable country that has been birthed from centuries of abuse. But there is one thing that needs to be acknowledged before we put a close on this otherwise very sad story. Despite the brutal history and current struggles of Haiti as a nation, Haitians are still very proud of Haiti. Look up any video of Haitian nationals and you'll see wide smiles and a whole lot of pride. Haitians are proud of their harsh history. They are proud of the fact that they are the first nation to be created and ran by free black people, despite the entire world being against them. Haitians are proud of the way they cook, proud of the clothes they wear, proud of the songs they sing, the dances they perform, and they are proud of who they are. So no matter how grim, dark, and brutal the current state of affairs for the state sounds, do not confuse it with the helplessness or sadness of the Haitian people. Despite all of this pride, all of this can be shown in one of the major things that Haiti's known for outside of this place's own borders is Haitian Flag Day. And I saw it a lot, especially when I lived in Broward County because of the huge exclave of Haitian nationals, because it's huge. It's a huge holiday to celebrate the independence from France, which is globally significant. The three most significant revolutions in history are the American, the French, and the Haitian. And 
very arguably, you could say the Haitian one is the most important and influential, not because of the country it created, but because of what it represented. It represents a small nation of people that were abused over and over without help from anyone else. No other countries backed them the way the U.S. and France backed each other during their revolutions. Nobody came to back Haiti. Nobody sent them money. Haiti and Haitians alone fought for their independence against people that had abused them for hundreds of years. It's one of the biggest moments in history. It's a complete cultural shift of power to the Western Hemisphere. It's showing that Europe is beatable. It's showing that abuse and racism and all that can't win in the end when people unite. It is extremely significant, and it's celebrated all the time. The next Haitian Flag Day occurs on May 18th, 2024. And now that you've heard this, look for it. Look for the Haitian flags around your neighborhood. Look for people wearing it on their bodies. Look for people posting it because it's huge. It's significant to them, not only because it is their nation's Independence Day, but it represents everything these people are, which is what I'm going to get into right now with the lesson and takeaway for this episode, which is be prideful and very, very gritty. I say that with Haiti for many reasons you could probably infer. There are a few nations in this world that before, during, and after their independence have the people seen and suffered so much abuse. These people have been enslaved, taken as colonies. Even after independence, they were pushed over and over and over again to be eliminated, to give up their independence, all these things. Hundreds of years later, the U.S. won't recognize them. Even after that, things start to get better internationally. They get hit with storm after storm, and then people come and abuse them again. People in the country try and take power for themselves. The Haitian people push through everything, but despite that... I said at the end of there, if you look up Haitian people and their celebrations, their food, their festivals, their holidays, Haitian Flag Day, Haitian clothing, Haitian women, Haitian men, Haitian children, Haitians in Haiti, Haitians outside of it, you're going to see so much pride from people that have seen far more than most of the rest of the world has in all sorts. These people have seen war. They've seen assassinations, diseases, abuses, literally getting hit with storms that haven't hit other places in the world, earthquakes that shattered the country, literally. But despite all this, these people are still here. No matter how small their country is, no matter how small their population is, no matter how many people leave, how many people stay, come in, any of that, they're still here, gritting their teeth through every single year that they have. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how poor they are, no matter how awful the country is to them, no matter who's in power, no matter who's being yanked from power. I can go on and on and on about this. In the end, they are still prideful. And I could say, you should apply that to yourself. Very simply, life is going to be brutal. And the thing you have to accept is, whatever you're going through is not as hard as what these people are going through. It's not. If you're sitting here listening to a podcast, I promise your life is better than whatever has happened throughout this history. So, Know that not only have these people pushed through things a lot harder than whatever it is any of you or me are dealing with, but they were prideful getting it done and prideful in the present and will be prideful in the future. We can infer that. So you should be the same. Be proud of yourself. Be proud of who you are, proud of where you came from, proud of where you're going, proud of where you're at if it's a better place than it used to be because life is going to make you grit your teeth. It's going to cause you to get knocked on your knees, be it from easy things like relationships being shit and school being tough to hoard terrible things, losses, car accidents, terrible things that can happen to you. All those things are going to require you to be gritty and tough and push through them. But I say do that not only with a lot of resilience, but do it 
with pride. Because if you are anything like the people that have lived in this struggling, hard, brutally abused country, then you will find a whole lot of success in whatever area you are pushing your life towards. And with that, that's all for me. So thank you all so much for being here. This one meant the world to me, and I really hope you guys think I did a good job as well. So thank you all so much for being here. And one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and that was Haiti. You guys have a good one. Thank you.